healthcare sector needs to protect sensitive patient data, but at the same time needs to provide quick and easy access to clinicians and increasingly to patients. So what are the steps that organizations can take to prevent the misuse or misdelivery of patient information? I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Suzanne Widdup, a Senior Analyst at Verizon Enterprise Solutions. Suzanne will be speaking to us about data access mistakes that are getting healthcare entities into trouble. So Suzanne, what are some of the most common types of access mistakes or more specifically, privileged access mistakes that you see healthcare entities making that are leading to some of the sorts of breaches we've been seeing. So most of the access mistakes actually sort of fall into two categories for these breaches. Of course, we're talking about insiders. And the first one is the person who is snooping. And so that's someone who's looking at either people they know, their relatives, their friends, their enemies, or sometimes it's a famous personality. And so the real problem there is that, you know, this is someone who is given access to a wider array of information than they probably really need for their job. And so it needs to be defined by role of what they actually need to have access and whether they have to have access to the entire patient database. It doesn't necessarily mean that they should. And then the other kind that we actually see is people who are in there specifically to get access to records for identity theft. Sometimes these are people who are already in place and are recruited by family members or acquaintances, or sometimes this is organized crime who's actually sending people specifically in to get the kind of access that will give them access to large amounts of really good data for tax fraud and identity theft and other financial fraud. And so that's what we're seeing mostly. Again, it's do they really need to have access to the entire database or does their role make more sense to have a subset of it? What about the kinds of breaches that we see where the credentials perhaps are compromised of systems administrators or other people within an organization that does have access to systems? So we see a lot of phishing attacks that kind of lead to some of the large breaches in healthcare as well as other industries. What sorts of things are we seeing in that area? Phishing is a real problem for pretty much every industry right now. And certainly, if they can get a hold of somebody whose credentials will give them elevated access, they're going to be going for it. Our research has actually shown that if you're willing to send, I think it was 10 emails to an organization, and really, if you look on LinkedIn, you can see 10 people in a particular organization whose credentials would be really useful to have, then you're actually approaching 100% likelihood that one of them is going to click on your phishing email. And so that speaks to the need to really not only really educate your users, to be able to recognize these kinds of attacks, but also to be able to have controls in place so that if they do fall for it, it's not successfully exfiltrating data. And what kinds of controls work for this? Well, really, for a phishing attack to be successful, it's a chain of events that have to all be successful. So someone has to click on the phishing email to begin with, and then they have to be able to get out to wherever the site is directing them to, and then they have to be able to pull back and install the software that they usually will be asking for. So they have to have access privileges on their machine to be able to install that, and then they have to be able to beacon back out to their command and control to let them know, okay, I've been infected now, what do you want me to do? So if you can put controls in place to stop any of these steps, you're ahead of the game. And a lot of this phishing, you know, it comes in the email. And so if you can stop that at your gateway, or if you can stop the malware at your gateway, you're ahead of the game. 
What about authentication in terms of making it harder for a potential attacker to get into the system to begin with when it comes to these privileged users? If it's a privileged account, it's important that you put in place a second factor of authentication so that if they do get the credentials, it still isn't going to do them a whole lot of good. So whether it's something else as far as a token or, or however you implement it, it's just one piece of, of the access granting. So if they don't get both pieces, then they still can't get in. And that's really what people need to really look at, especially for these privileged accounts. Now, you mentioned earlier that role-based access is also something that needs to be considered so that someone doesn't have access to more information than they actually need. What sort of trends are we seeing in this area? How far down do organizations set these roles, whether a nurse is assigned, for instance, maybe on one floor one day, she gets moved around? Do organizations actually sort of dynamically adjust the role of people based on day-to-day sort of responsibilities, or is it more of something that's set from the time someone gets hired? Well, I think a lot of them are just set and forget kind of a mentality, and so they're not actually doing dynamic allocation. What would also make sense is if it's a patient record, maybe the field level should be what they choose to mask and unmask based on a role. It may be that their their financial information, their social security number may not be needed for medical care, whereas it's needed for billing. So it's the kind of thing where they can take a look at exactly what kinds of fields they might need based on their role instead of just the records, the patient records that they need. Certainly, you can get a lot more granular on what you can provide a view of rather than give them everything. That's another way of limiting the exposure and the risk. Now, you mentioned earlier also that we see organized crime bringing or actually sending people in perhaps to work in healthcare organizations just to go in there and be able to access IDs that can be used for ID theft and fraud and tax fraud and all that other sort of thing. What sort of advice do you have to healthcare organizations to kind of stop even getting these people in the door? Well, that's a hard one because, of course, they're probably not sending in someone who already has a bad background. So maybe the background check isn't going to help. What I really do recommend, though, is, you know, maybe a probationary period where what they're accessing is monitored heavily. And so if they're going in with the express idea that they're going to get access to the information, they're probably not going to want to wait around and do the job for a long time. They're probably want to get in and get the data and get out. So if you monitor their access pretty heavily, especially in like the first three months or something, you've probably got a pretty good chance of catching someone before they've gotten a lot of data, hopefully. Healthcare organizations are also under pressure to be able to provide patients with access to their data in a timely way. What sorts of trends do you see there? Are there mistakes being made in terms of how healthcare entities are providing access to patients to their own data that could potentially end up in a breach? Well, that would be like some of the recent breaches where, you know, if the infrastructure they're using isn't up to date on the software, you don't want to find that you're one patch away from a big breach. And so anything that's going to be internet facing that's going to have sensitive data in it, you really have to have processes in place to keep up with all of the maintenance that has to be done on software infrastructure for both the operating system and any packages that you're using. And we certainly see a lot of attacks on web applications over the course of every year. It's always a problem. And so when you're putting something out there, it's it's really important to make sure that you've taken the security in mind and that you have processes for when you make changes to your infrastructure as well to make sure that security controls are back in place after the changes have been made. 
And do you see any promising technologies on the horizon or perhaps practices that are overlooked by healthcare organizations that can address some of these issues that we were just talking about? Certainly, there's companies that are looking into putting machine learning in there and being able to make more intelligent decisions to identify whether someone is abusing their access or not. And that, I think, is really promising because, of course, it it can be very difficult to identify insiders who are doing malicious access just because it looks so similar to their normal job. And when we did the the PHI report, it actually, we looked at the people, the commonality between incidents that took months and years to discover, and those were the insider breaches, and it's typically against the database. And so it really speaks to the need to have technology sort of bring to bear to take care of this when it's not something that a human can just look at and identify. And what about in terms of breaches that involve the misdelivery of patient information? Information is sent to the wrong place or someone intervenes with it or somehow things end up in a place that it doesn't belong. That actually is very common. And a lot of times that's, that's again, it's a process issue where if you're doing like a mass mailing, you need to make sure you do sampling throughout that mass mailing before it goes out the door to make sure that the envelopes and the contents are in fact still in sync. We've seen cases where sensitive information was on the outside of the envelope. And so someone needs to at least do a sanity check on these to make sure that, okay, there's not something that's obviously wrong before it goes out the door, because these are the kinds of breaches that there's just really no excuse for. It's the kind of thing that, you know, you really need that kind of process in place to fix. And what about the misdelivery of information electronically, things that are sent by email perhaps that contain sensitive information, or maybe it's going to the wrong person to receive that information? Any tips there? That one's much harder to catch because it's really just people being careless when they're typing something in and they they mistype it. You have data loss prevention tools out there that will hopefully stop it from going in the clear out to another entity. But even if those are in place and it's part of your legitimate process to actually send it various places, if you encrypt it first, that way if it goes to another person that it shouldn't go to, at least it's not being a breach because they can't read it. Thanks, Suzanne. I've been speaking to Suzanne Widdup. I'm Marianne Kobasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.